But we have been steadily progressing in the book of Acts, and we are in Acts chapter 9 today. We will be looking at verses 19 through 31, um, actually kind of halfway through verse 19 is where we're going to begin. Uh, so let's look at Acts chapter 9, verses 19 through 31. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is this not is this the man who made havoc? Is this not the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him. For they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord, who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists. But they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned of this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit and multiplied. Thus since our reading of God's transforming word. May all who hear it find that they are a new creation in Christ. What is salvation? I mean, what, what really happens when Jesus rescues a person from their sins? Often in the church, we tend to focus on what Jesus gets us out of, do we not? Namely, hell, right? Or God's judgment. That those who turn from their sins and, and trust in him won't have to suffer in that lake of fire but we'll get to spend eternity in the new heavens and the new earth. And this is true. And this is good. And, and we, we should be spreading this message. But, but what we don't talk enough about is about who is going to be there in that new heavens and new earth. We, we don't talk enough about spending an eternity in the presence of God nor about what that requires. You see, the, the gospel isn't just that Jesus died for our sins and then that's it. No, that's just the beginning. For, for the gospel then continues on, it, telling us that God is now changing us, changing us into the image of his Son in order that, in order that we might be able to enter into that holy presence and be able to stand unscathed, unharmed. 
And so there must be a transformation that takes place, right? A transformation in each and every person who would be considered a child of God. Look, look, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 and 18. Therefore, if, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God. Who through, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. You see, the, the, the point of the gospel is not just to get you out of hell, but to truly transform you into the likeness of Jesus Christ. And when Jesus truly calls you to himself, then that transformation has already begun. It's already it has already started. You have become a new creation. And as that new creation, Jesus calls you to a new life altogether. But the question is, what does that new life look like? That's what we're going to try to answer today in our, in our text. For We are going to see how God truly transformed this man named Saul. If you remember from last week, we, we witnessed the dramatic conversion of Saul, right? As he became a Christian on that road to Damascus. You see, Saul, what, what was he? he? He was an enemy of Christ, right? A, a man who was zealously going about trying to, de, try, trying to destroy Christ's church. And in fact, he was actively searching for these believers in Jesus in order to arrest them. And what, what did he do once he found them? He, 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 would, he would put them in prison and then try to have them sentenced to death. His, his hatred for Jesus was, was so great that, that he was even willing to pursue these Christians to the ends of the earth. That's where we found him last week. Remember on the road to Damascus? For he had received permission from the, from the chief priest to, to, to go there to infiltrate these synagogues in order that he might root out any who was calling upon the name of Jesus. And yet, if you recall, along the way, he encountered that Jesus, right? Christ had appeared to him in a blinding light, a light which drove Saul to his knees. And then he had heard the commanding voice of our Lord saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And it was in this encounter that this zealous enemy of the gospel was humbled. Jesus had removed the scales from his eyes that had blinded him for so long. And Saul finally saw the truth of who Jesus is. And in repentant faith, he, he turned to the Lord and began to follow him. And now in our text for today, we, we, we pick up where we left off, right? And continue Saul's, Saul's story and see what this new life in Christ actually looks like. What Christ called this man to when he turned to him in repentant faith. Look, look once again at, at verses 19 and 20. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. 
And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. Here we have two verses, right? Just Actually, it's a verse and a half because we started halfway through 19. It's just, just two short verses and we're already given a heavy dose of what this new life looks like, what this new life entails. You see, Saul, he, he remained in Damascus for quite some time. Luke doesn't mention specifics here, but, but he, says, he says that Saul was with the disciples for some days. Well, what we'll discover from other passages of Scripture is that Saul would stay in Damascus for roughly three years. But, but did you catch what Luke also said? That Saul was with the disciples. Think about that. Now, now in order for a man like Saul to be welcomed in by these disciples in Damascus, it would have taken a lot of trust from these believers, right? I mean, remember, this was the man who had come to their city in order to imprison them. He wanted these people dead if they did not renounce Jesus. And yet now, what were they doing? They were receiving him in as a brother in the Lord. Now, why on earth would they do this? Because they had seen Jesus move in this man's life. They, they knew that Christ had personally visited this man and had opened his eyes to the truth. And, and so it was not so much that they were trusting Saul as they were trusting Jesus. They believed in the saving power of their Lord. They, they knew that he had the ability to transform even a man like Saul one who was vehemently opposed to Jesus. And so they welcomed him into their community. Well, let's turn the tables real quick. Let's, let's consider this from Saul's perspective. Now, how difficult would it have been for him to, to go to these people? Not, not only seeking their forgiveness, but also their acceptance. And yet, this is exactly what he did. Again, I ask the question, why? why? Why would Saul do this? Why would he seek out this new family? Because Saul understood that this new life that he had in Christ meant that he now belonged to a new family. And, and that is the first change that we see in this new life calling of Saul that Christ had called him into a new community. And this is what Christ calls you to as well. For when you become a believer in Jesus, God welcomes you into his family. You become a brother. You become a sister to all those who also believe. My, my family and I, we've moved around a lot. Over the years, uh, we, we lived in, in Ann Arbor, we lived in Chiang Mai, Thailand, Karat, Thailand, we lived in Allegan, now we're living here in Oxford, and, and yet every time we moved 
we, we've had this instant connection with other believers, with, with people whom we did not know before. There, there, there has always been this, this camaraderie that, that was immediately felt, knowing that, that these people had, had also had their lives transformed by our great and mighty Savior, that we worship the same God, that we that were a part of the same family. Somehow God does that for, for his people. But, but, but there's more than just the commonality that we have that, that drives us to join this, this new community. For, for, for Kim and I, we also know that it is through Christ's church that God matures us, that he grows us, right? You see, as Christians, we need one another. And if we are to grow as believers in Christ, then, then we cannot be these Lone Ranger Christians. That's, that's not how it works. Christ has placed us into his church for a reason, in order that we may learn from one another, in order that we may help one another, in order that we can look out for one another. Saul knew this as well. And that's why he sought the family of God right away. And it was in this joining of God's community that, that we see him take that first step of the transformed life. You see, the, the, what's crazy about it is that these were the people that Saul once wanted to kill. And now they were his brothers and his sisters. I mean, how wild is that? But that's not the only change that we see from Saul in these first couple verses. Not, not only did he endear himself to these Damascus Christians, but, but he also wasted no time in spreading the message of Jesus to other Jews who were living in that city. And what does Luke tell us? That, that immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue saying, He is the Son of God. And so the second thing that we should take note of is, is that in this new life that Saul had, Jesus had given to this man a new message to proclaim. And what was that message that Saul was now preaching? That Jesus is the Son of God. Now this term, Son of God, would have had a significant meaning to these Jews. For, for embedded within this title is, is the notion that Jesus is the Messiah. But, but more than that, it, it, is a, it is describing Jesus, his relationship to the Father. Not necessarily on a biological level, but, but in terms of how a son is submissive to his Father. Always doing his Father's will. And yet when Saul used this term in connection with the gospel message... It would have meant even, even more than just a submissiveness, for it would have also spoken to Jesus' godly nature. Basically, Saul was now sharing the gospel message to the people of Damascus, proving that Jesus is God in human flesh, and that he had come to rescue them from their sins through his atoning sacrifice upon the cross. He was sharing the gospel, right? Uh, this is the good news of Jesus. 
And this was Saul's new message. Quite different, wouldn't you say, from the message Saul used to preach. That Jesus was both a liar and a false prophet. That you should renounce him if you want to live. I mean, that was his old message. Exact opposite. True transformation. God has given to each and every one of us this same new message, has he not? That Jesus is the Son of God, the the one who died for our sins and rose from the dead, the one who is now reigning from heaven above, the one who is now offering salvation to any person who will will turn from their sins and, and trust in him. You see, the message doesn't change. What Saul proclaimed, you are to proclaim. Notice, too, where where Saul was preaching this new message. Luke tells us that he was preaching in the synagogues, right? And so, much like Stephen before him, you remember Stephen? He was now trying to proclaim this Jesus to the Jewish people. He he was making the rounds to all these houses of worship, making sure that as many people as possible would hear the good news about this Son of God. But why? Why was Saul so active in proclaiming this message? I mean, it's one thing to believe it. It's quite another to try to convince others. If you remember from last Sunday, we discovered that Saul was a zealous man, was he not? Diving headfirst into his persecution of the church, going to great lengths, chasing after these Christians. But but now that Jesus had revealed himself to this man, now that Saul had discovered the truth and understood the errors of his former ways, now that he, he knew the true message, this new message, about Jesus, he had something that was of greater importance, did he not? That Jesus is of first importance. And that unless people turned from their sins and trusted in Christ, then they they would still be under the penalty of their sins and destined for hell. You see, Saul's zeal didn't just go away after he believed. Rather, if anything, it intensified. I mean, what is zeal in the first place? Is it not acting in proportion to a thing's level of importance? You see, Saul understood that the the most important thing that he could be doing with his life was to be proclaiming this message to as many people as possible. And, And so it wasn't just that Saul had a new message, but he had a new mission as well. And that mission was to give an eyewitness account that Jesus has risen from the dead and that he was now ruling from heaven above. And he would give this account to any and every one he would encounter, whether Jew or Gentile. And so the third thing that we see in this new life of Saul is that Jesus has called this man to a new mission, to his mission. And this is the same mission to which every Christian is called. 
we should have the zeal that Saul displayed. And the reason we should have such zeal is because of the importance of this message. Right? The importance hasn't changed. It is of first importance. We are, we are to be proclaiming this message to as many souls as possible. That they might hear the good news and be saved. Too often that the, the church has, has been neglecting this calling, has it not? Sometimes due to fear. Sometimes due to complacency. And yet a sign that, that, that a person is truly converted is that they, they have truly become a new creation in Christ is that they have this desire to share this message with others, to be a witness for Jesus. Because when you're a true convert in Christ, you understand the dire situation, how, how, how great the danger is for those who are without Jesus. That unless a man has Christ, then he is under God's wrath and destined for eternal suffering. And that only when they are called, called to repentant faith in Jesus, can that person find forgiveness. Can that person find new life. Look, look at Romans chapter 10, verses 14 and 15. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Listen, if you are in Christ, then you are now his servant. And as his servant, you are to be proclaiming his name, proclaiming it to the whole world. That should be the first thing that is on your mind when you wake up in the morning. What can I do today to bring the gospel message to others? Who are the people who are in my life that need to hear this message? How can I be a part of God's growing kingdom? That should be our mindset. That was Saul's mindset. He, he understood immediately that souls were at stake. And, and that's why he wasted no time in spreading the gospel message throughout these synagogues. He desired salvation for all the people that he saw. And God was able to use him effectively. Look, at, look, at, look back at our passage again. Look at verses 21 and 22. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. Saul, once having this reputation as an enemy of Christ, now amazed the Jews of Damascus, for he was now proclaiming the very thing he had been fighting so hard against. 
And look at these questions they asked. Is this not the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose? To bring them bound before the chief priests? Yes and yes. It's exactly who he is. But Christ had changed this man's heart in an instant. And this had become evident even to those who were not believers. No longer was he Christ's enemy, rather he was Christ's greatest advocate. And as his advocate, he had confounded the Jews through his irrefutable argumentation. He was proving to these folks that Jesus was the Christ. You see, Paul had some advantages. As a, as a trained Pharisee, he knew his Old Testament inside and out. And now that Jesus had removed the scales from his eyes, he was able to, to see Christ throughout all of this book. He brought to these Jews the scripture. Verse after verse revealing to them that Jesus is the Messiah. And there's no getting around it. But not only did he have the scriptures, but he himself had become an eyewitness, remember? For he, for he had been visited by the resurrected Jesus on that road to Damascus. And thus he confounded the Jews because they could not refute him. And as a result, many were coming to Christ. But not all. Those who refused, well, they didn't do so because they did not know the truth. Rather, they suppressed the truth in unrighteousness. And in so doing, they had rejected Jesus. And thus their, their ire grew. For this man who had once been the enemy of Jesus was now proclaiming his name and winning over too many people. And because they could not refute him, they, they needed to come up with another solution. Another way that they could suppress this message. And that solution would be violence. Look at, look at verses 23 and 24. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. Now, now a conspiracy to commit murder doesn't just happen overnight. As I told you earlier, it, from elsewhere in Scripture, we learn that this Saul had been in Damascus for roughly three years. We, we learn this from Saul's own writings. Look at, look at Galatians chapter 1, verses 13 through 18. This is what he says. For, for you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond my... Beyond many of my own age among my people, so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born, and who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me, in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas 
and remained with him 15 days. Now there's a lot in there, but there are a couple things that I want you to notice. The, the, the first of which is, is the time frame that I just mentioned. Saul would roughly spend three years in Damascus. But, but not only Damascus, but also in the region of Arabia to the east. And what does Saul say here? In order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. And this is exactly what he did within Arabia. He, he had been sharing the gospel to Gentiles. T take a look at, the, at this map. They already got it up, good. Yeah, here we see, you see Damascus in the north, and then Arabia is that region east of there. And, and that's what Saul meant when he said, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. It's, it's because he, he knew from the start that the gospel wasn't just for the Jews, but that it was for the Gentiles as well. In fact, if you remember, he had, he had received a specific calling directly from Jesus to go to the Gentiles and to proclaim his name. And so he didn't need the apostles' blessings, for he had already had the approval from Jesus himself. All this to say is that we already see in Saul's life that he was taking up this calling of a missionary's life. For he was traveling into these towns, into, into Arabia, that were, that were east of Damascus, preaching the good news that Jesus is the Son of God. And yet this preaching didn't only create converts, but it created enemies as well. Luke tells us that the Jews were plotting to kill him. But it, but it wasn't just the Jews. Look at, look at 2 Corinthians 11, verses 32 and 33. Again, these are Saul's words. He says this, At Damascus, the governor under King Aretas was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me, but I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hand. And so this, this King Aretas, he was the king of Arabia. And it was one of Aretas's governors who was conspiring with these Jews and so this plot to kill Saul went up to the highest levels, even as high as the governor of that region. And what did they want? They wanted Saul dead. So the fourth thing that we see in this new life of Saul is that, is that Jesus had called this man to a life of suffering and persecution. Now, is this specific to him? Or is this a calling for all of us? Look at, look at John chapter 15, verses 18 through 20. Here we see the words of our Lord. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. 
You see, not many want to hear this today, particularly those who belong to the church in the West. But the calling of a true believer in Christ is a life of persecution. That's what Jesus promises to those who follow him. Listen, listen, I don't care where you are in the world today. If you're going to proclaim that Jesus is the Son of God, well, then you're going to create enemies. And that's because the world hates the true Jesus. And so if you're going to fulfill the one calling, the calling of proclaiming this new message, then it will most certainly lead to this other calling, the calling to a life of suffering and persecution. Now, how these things will look will depend on the context of your surroundings, but, but they will be there nonetheless. And that's because there are always those who hate Jesus. And they will hate you as well, especially if you proclaim his name. And yet God, he always comes out triumphant, does he? doesn't he? he? He always looks after his servants as well, not, not allowing them to, to leave this earth before their appointed time. Look, look at verse 25 in our passage again. But his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. You see, somehow the, the church had caught wind that, that Damascus was no longer safe for Saul. The gates were being watched, and if Saul tried to leave, he would be captured. And that's when they came up with this great plan of escape, right? There's this hole in the wall. We got this basket and some rope. We're going to let you down. It worked, right? You see, God was watching over his servant. And he had allowed Saul to escape the clutches of those who sought his life. And that's because Saul's time had not come. God had much more for this man to do. But where would he go? Now, now that Damascus was not safe, where would he find refuge? To a place he knew quite well. He went back to Jerusalem to the city in which he was raised. Look at, look at verse 26. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. Three years had passed since Saul set out to destroy the church. And now that he returned, returned a changed man, he found other challenges, right? Yes, he was a believer in Christ, but not only a believer, but he was also an eyewitness of the resurrection. And more than that, he had become a co-laborer in the gospel, zealously proclaiming the name of Jesus. And yet when he attempted to join the disciples in Jerusalem, well, they were not quite as trusting as the disciples in Damascus. And there's reason, good reason behind that. You see, these believers remembered all too well the amount of misery, the amount of grief that Saul had brought upon, brought upon them. I mean, they were the ones who experienced it firsthand, were they not? 
Uh, unlike those in Damascus who, who actually never faced Saul's wrath, these disciples in Jerusalem suffered great loss because of him. And many of them had been put in prison because Saul arrested them. Friend, they had friends and relatives who had, who had probably been killed with his approval. And so, yes, these, these Christians had good reason to be afraid of this man and to not trust him. And even though they had heard the reports, even though they heard about his conversion, they did not believe that it was real. And so they rejected him. And yet there was one man who did believe. One man who stuck his neck out for this Saul. A man named Barnabas. Look at, look at the next verse. Look at verse 27. But Barnabas, Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. Now, we've seen this Barnabas before, have we not? This son of encouragement. Remember, he was the one who had sold that piece of property and, and laid all of the proceeds at the apostles' feet. And so he was a man of great generosity. He was a man of high moral character. He was a man who could be trusted, a man who, who loved Jesus and loved Christ's church. And thankfully for Saul, he had become a powerful advocate. And what did Barnabas do? He, he did exactly what he should do. He brought Saul straight to the apostles, straight to the leadership of the church. For, for he knew that, that unless Saul got their approval, well, then he would never be accepted by the rest of the church. But would these apostles receive him? Would they take him in as a brother? Look, look at verse 28. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. Once again, in an act of mercy and forgiveness, the apostles did receive him. This is what Luke meant when he said that Saul was able to go in and out among them, that he was in fellowship with them. Now, now consider this for a moment. These apostles had, had personally seen this man be a part of the murder of their good friend Stephen. And yet, and yet, now here, they, they are welcoming him into the kingdom as a brother. I mean, think about that. How, how does one get to that point? To the point where, where you can become a brother to the one who murdered your other brother. It's only with Christ that, that such forgiveness can be found. And that's because that's how Christ's church works. It is a kingdom where even the worst of, of criminals can find welcome. And that's because Christ has taught us what it truly means to forgive, right? For, for, for if he was willing to go to the cross in order to die for us so that, that we might be forgiven our sins against him, well, then it is a small thing to ask for us to forgive those who have sinned against us. And it was a small thing for these apostles to forgive Saul. And thus Saul was welcomed in as a brother. 
And yet consider this once again from Saul's perspective. I mean, how was he able to face these men knowing what he had done? Knowing how much he had hurt them. Knowing how much pain he had caused. And his fate within the church rested upon their shoulders. And yet, Saul, he came to them humbly, seeking forgiveness and mercy. And this is the, the fifth thing that we see in this new life of Saul. That, that Jesus had called this man to seek forgiveness of those whom he had hurt the most. Dear friends, conversion to Christ doesn't come about without a repentant heart. And often that repentant heart will need to deal with one's past. Sins that, that still live in the memories of others. Perhaps there is someone in your own life with whom you need to be reconciled. Someone whom you have hurt. Someone whom you have caused great pain. Christ is calling you to heal old wounds. To seek forgiveness. This takes humility. It, it takes trust. Jesus is asking you to swallow your pride and, and lay yourself at the mercy of another's feet. And, and as difficult as this may be, it is, it is your calling nonetheless. Your calling in this new life in Jesus Christ. This is what Saul did. He, he went to those whom he had hurt the most and, and he asked for both mercy and acceptance. And just as Jesus had forgiven these apostles, they now extended their own forgiveness to this former persecutor of the church. It's amazing, isn't it? That Saul could go in and out among them. That's the power of the gospel. That's the power of Jesus Christ. And it wouldn't take them long to learn that, that Saul truly was a changed man. For, for Luke tells us, what, that, that he was preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he was preaching to the, to the Hellenists. Look at verse 29. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. You see, just like Stephen, this, this man whom he had killed, Saul was now doing the exact same thing that's, that led to Stephen's death. He was going to the Hellenists and proclaiming the name of Jesus. And just as he did in Damascus, so now he did in Jerusalem, confounding the Jews by proving to them that Jesus is the Christ. But just like Damascus, so too in Jerusalem, Saul created adversaries in doing so. So effective was his evangelism that the enemies of Jesus wanted to do him in. Perhaps they would do to him what he did to Stephen. So why was this man so zealous? I mean, you think he would have learned his lesson from his time in Damascus, right? That, that he would have toned it down a little bit? Not create enemies? But that's not what he did. Listen, Saul knew he was creating enemies. He just didn't care. So, so long as Christ was being proclaimed and, and souls were being won, it didn't matter what happened to him. 
For this was all a part of his new life in Christ. And if Jesus wanted him to die in the process, well then, so be it. And that's because Saul also understood that that this new life in Christ that Jesus was calling him to was a life to pick up his own cross and to follow him. In other words, Jesus was worth dying for. And that's what he's calling upon you. And that's what he's calling upon me. We are to forfeit our own lives for his name. Look at, look at Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Dear friends, do you understand that your life is not your own? That you belong to Christ? That, that, that you are to pick up your cross and you are to go where he leads. And if he chooses for you to die in the process, then so be it. So long as his name is proclaimed and souls are one to his kingdom. That is his calling upon each and every one of us. Saul understood this. And if it was his time, then he would go down in the joy of the Lord knowing that he had served his king faithfully, this one who loved him and gave himself up for him. But it wasn't Saul's time, at least not yet. Look look at verse 30. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Just as in Damascus, so too in Jerusalem, the church learned of this plot to kill Saul. And just as before, Saul left the city in order to further the gospel message in other regions of the world. And where would he go? To the place of his birth, to Tarsus, to spread the message there. And yet even though there was this hostility towards Saul, for the most part, God had granted to his church a reprieve from these persecutions. Look at, look at our last verse. Look at verse 31. I, I find this last verse amazing. So, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. It had peace. I can't help but wonder if if this time of peace came about because one of their greatest enemies was now living a new life. That he now belonged to a new family. That he now believed a new message. That he now was embarking on a new mission. That he was now experiencing firsthand a life under the threat of persecution that he now found forgiveness from those whom he had persecuted in the past. That he was now taking up his own cross and following Jesus. And so, yes, the church had found peace, and it was being built up. It was, it was multiplying. And all because 
of a transformed life. And God can do the same thing today. He, he is calling you to this new life in him. So let us walk in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we, we come to you now humbled by your word. We confess that this new life that we find in you often seems difficult and challenging. That we don't always have the zealous fervor of your servant Saul. And that is why we need your Holy Spirit. That you might transform our hearts. Helping us to live this new life that you've called us to. Help us to be the new creation that you've made us into. Help us to prioritize your family. Help us to prioritize your message. Help us to prioritize your mission. Help us to prioritize your call to suffer. Help us to prioritize the seeking of forgiveness of those whom we have hurt. And most of all, help us to prioritize the taking up of our own cross as we follow your Son wherever he may lead. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.